Lisa Higgins, who did you meet? Well, I met Maisie Williams. Maisie Williams? No way. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't just talk about that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, so she was, uh, apparently she was promoting a new app that she launched like last year or something. And, uh, Which we're happy for sponsor for her to sponsor us. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Daisy Hart, get it downloaded. Get it downloaded. No, so I'm just doing my thing, doing bar things, pouring drinks and cleaning tables and whatever, and then in walks Maisie like, Williams. Like, and, uh, in walks Maisie Williams with a wee posse, just a posse of one, just basically a pal, <laughs> and uh, took a wee seat and I thought, that's, that's Maisie Williams just sitting in my bar. And I was, didn't really know what to do. I, I, well, Initially, I was like, right, I'm serving this table. Like, I'm, I'm serving it. It's, I'd say that to my colleagues, and that you can fuck off. Like, I'm serving Maisie Williams. So I bounced up, like, you know, thinking I was the thing. Uh, and she goes, "Can I get the penny, uh, penny arabiata?" And I goes, and she went, "Would you recommend it?" And I was like, "Nah, nah, I really wouldn't recommend it." <laughs> um, so I told her our choice was. <laughs> Because it's part of the reason, like, I was like, don't, don't say the full story. Because I remember you absolutely just, like, were slagging your work in front of it. Like, nah, the penny out of me, I said, shite. I mean, this isn't the full story. There's fucking far more to the story than this. Basically, I thought her choice was shite and she should go for something else. So right. she had to go to cheese. She was nice. And, uh, I know, she was unbelievably sound. Like, I can't. That's great. I like that nice. No, honestly, honestly, I think it's it's surprising that because she got famous so young, um, that how sound she is and how down to earth she was. But she was literally like, talking to you like she was one of your mates, or you know what I mean. Uh, and even the way. Who yeah. else you met this famous? I've met. Do already know this as well? I'm a big snicker fan. Yeah. And I was playing golf one day, yeah. and I walked off the course and I heard this guy talking. I was like, that guy's like a lot with John Higgins. He's obviously one of the best snicker players. I turned around, it was him. Yeah. And um, I went over and I was like, right, mate, and started speaking and stuff. And they got a picture, and then like my, my dad's pal, Marcus, he's called, was a snicker player. And they took a pal, so we were talking about him. Yeah. And then I went to walk away, and he was like, so how'd you play then, mate? And I ended up like sitting at his car room, just talking about golf and that. So weird. Oh, <laughs> and I went home like fucking buzzing. Like, <laughs> my mum was, I've never seen you so excited. And she didn't have a clue who it was. I've never, like, the only famous person I've met isn't even that famous. And it's like, uh, it's Tommy and Gail. Uh, Sheridan's. Tommy Sheridan. Hey, my dad used to play in a Scotland Select team with him. Right. And this, I don't know if I'm going to be like fucking getting Tommy Sheridan into trouble here, but nobody listens to this, so I'll just tell the story. I think they were like 15 at the time and he was shagging like a 40 year old when they were in Canada. <laughs> I may be exaggerated with how much the story's been told, but he was certainly done with women when they were there. Do you realise that I'm sued a newspaper? Aye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he also flung water in my dad when he was asleep, so... I was about to say how much I really liked Tommy Gale. <laughs> my dad said he's, he's sound, but my dad was like, a few years younger than me. Aye. <laughs> so good at football. Aye. <laughs> just too good. Jack, have you met anyone else famous? Aye, mind, mind that, I always seem to get decent people in my work, to be honest. Mind that time uh, Anthony Kydis from Red Hot Chili Peppers was in my work. Aye. Offering me tickets to Tina, like to see him at Tina Park, and I was on shift like until ten o'clock that night or something. And couldn't he, couldn't he go? 
It's one of those things where that age and all, where it was like, you would was mad. The funniest thing about it, or the world, not the funniest thing, it's no funny haha, but it's actually quite shite because um, never listened to Red Talk Jelly Pebbles in my life until like, I think maybe about four months before he walked into my work, like, I started listening to them and getting really into them. And well, then that's he walked into my work. Well, exactly. I don't think I would have, but well, he is quite a, he's quite a like, unique looking guy to be fair. But I wouldn't, uh, you know, at first he walked in, he walked in with his son, who by the way looks like a lassie. Um, <laughs> is he to be fair? I was, no, I was like certain it was his, like a wee lassie, and then it wasn't until the very end when he was leaving that I would like try to get him a, try to get a, a photo with him and that, because he, do you know what he said to me actually? I went, um, You can't oh, stop. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. Uh, no, he goes, I went, uh, no, I, 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 I just shouted, Anthony, as he was walking out my uh, I was like, Anthony, uh, it's alright to just get a quick photo. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. He was like, uh, sorry mate, I've, re- I've retired for taking photos. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's not a thing. Um, but apparently it is a thing, and it, apparently he's like publicly said that many a time to like interviewers yeah, and whatever. He's got a song when he says, like you said you're a big fan, but the first thing you say when you see me is can I get a picture Well, we'll always take photos for any we better start the show now i've got a few things i wanted to get into obviously this is first time films i am david campbell joined here uh, in the studio with nikki buchanan and off location with jack higgins uh basically the, the concept of the show is we take a film that at least one of us hasn't seen before and we discuss it and we talk about it all right so just a few things to get through we're actually launching another show when game of thrones comes back called first time thrones that'll include uh, five panellists reviewing each episode that comes out. <laughs> uh, and also we've got a big show coming out in March which is called Pitch Battle. Uh, we're going to take nine people uh, doing competition with regards to movie pitches to be judged by our three judges, Nikki Buchanan, Rob Jane uh, yes. and AJ Simonton. Uh, so it should be good. Yeah, uh, it'll be amazing. It will be good. Obviously, uh, we've announced a new contestant. Obviously, Mary Higgins got confirmed. Uh, she'll be facing Ed and the winner, oh, something that we'll be discussing later on. Uh, a great signing. Uh, <laughs> a signing with an eye to the future, I think would be the way to phrase it. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about The Godfather, uh, made in 1972, uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola and co-written uh, with Mario Puzo, who was obviously the author of the original novel based in the same name. And um, it stars doesn't it star Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, James Caan, Robert Duvall and Talia Shire among others and um, it's basically about the Corleone crime family over a 10 year stretch as the old Don Vito um, is replaced by his young son and former war hero Michael Corleone um, it made 286 million dollars on a 5 million dollar budget so a hugely hugely profitable movie um, at the Academy Awards it also fared very well won best picture Marlon Brando won best actor won best adapted screenplay and it was also nominated for the performances of Al Pacino James Caan Robert Duvall Coppola was nominated for Best Director also has a 98% rating in Rotten Tomatoes. On our Facebook page, we asked thumbs up, thumbs down, as we normally do. 
82% of people give a, uh, give it a wee tick, a wee thumbs up. 18% of people get a thumbs down. Uh, Ian Shearer, who's been on our show a couple of times for Halloween and Soul, said that the people who give it a thumbs down are liars and just try to be contrarians. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. To be fair, I was one of the people on Twitter that voted for part three as the best film, just to take the piss of it. I was going to say, like, we did the Twitter poll, <laughs> what was your favourite part, part one, part two, or part three? We had part two one with 57%. Part one came up, and um, second with thirty six, and then part three. It was like one vote, percent percent. Probably. <laughs> Just going back, is it not? Is it not the highest rate? Is it not the highest um, rated in Rotten Tomatoes actually? And IMDb, I'm pretty sure it's the highest rated film. Out of the three of them, no, it's not. Can no, it be? The Godfather is the highest rated film, like in all. Oh, the right, film. the Godfather. I thought you meant part three. Oh, right, 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 right. No, 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 no. Sorry, Godfather. The Godfather itself, I'm pretty sure, is the highest rated on, like. Of all films, every film. Yeah, I'm not sure. Somebody, I'm pretty sure it is. Somebody check yeah. it. <laughs> Get it, it depends, check. depends on the list and stuff, but I'm not sure. Like, there's a couple of new movies. I'm not sure if they had 100% Rotten Tomatoes or not. Uh, but there's been a few that have been close to it and had it for the, like the first couple of weeks, and then like lost it when later reviews came out. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure. But I wanted to pick up first, Jack, on the discussion we had in the Shining episode um, about authorship. Uh, and translating a movie from a novel to the big screen. Obviously, we see the difference here. Stephen King not involved uh, in the screenplay writing of The Shining. However, Mario Puzo was very much involved here. In fact, uh, when they wrote the screenplay, basically Coppola went away, uh, wrote his own script. Puzo wrote his own adaption, and it wasn't until both of them had wrote the same script they then had a wee conversation about that. Jack, do you think that's a better way um, of doing an adaption in a novel than we've seen with Stephen King and The Shining, which obviously got a whole lot of controversy from the author. Uh, I think it, it must be because you'd be so protective of like, your own your own work, especially if it's something that's, uh, I don't know, so like, um, so mean, like so personal to him. I know it's not a personal story of his or anything, but it's, it's obviously to do with um, um, something similar to his upbringing and whatever else. So I think when it's when it's your own baby, like. You should be involved as much as you can because you don't. You'd be so protective of it, and if someone else is putting, in, um, you know, their own input in it, it could be completely contrary to what you want. You know, um, so I think it is important that they that. Well, I think it's important in this case anyway for Mario to to put his own stuff in it. Um, maybe that's. A I think a lot of pre-production problems as well. Uh, with the movie, like on top of the screenplay, yeah. uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Nicky wasn't the studio's first choice for director, not even a long shot. The first person that they wanted was in fact Sergio Leone. Now I don't know if you've seen uh, any of Leone's films, he did Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time in America, um, and films of that ilk. Um, but he turned it down for the chance to actually make his own guy. So maybe Once Upon a Time in America starring Bob De Niro. Um, and James and the legendary James Woods. Uh, <laughs> family guy. Our family guy Famo is about to say. Uh, and the only reason the couple actually took this movie was for the money because he read the novel and thought it sounded trashy. Uh, so it's weird to think the way things work out. Uh, is there any other like a classic director of this time of these gangster movies you could have seen make the movie The Godfather or adapt that novel in a similar but different way? I don't know, Scorsese, he's the only one I think of with gangster movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, no, I'm no mad in gangster films. Like, yeah. I think they're okay, but I think they're for like, the kind of folk that like Wolf of Wall Street, they just like to
I just think there's not much you can say about it because it is just perfect. Well, I think there's like it's interesting when we think about it because the first thing you think of when you think of the Godfather, like I've got a poster in my I've got many posters yeah, in my wall. Sort of fucking yeah, but the, the first, <laughs> first poster that I bought for this wall was actually of the Godfather, and it's that iconic image of uh, Marlon Brando as Don Vito Corleone. But Jack, he actually wasn't the first person. He wasn't the, the studio's choice at all. It was uh, Coppola who had to fight for Brando to get this part, and Mario Puzo actually. Uh, they wanted either Orson Welles or Lawrence Olivier to play the part of the, the Godfather. No, I remember hearing uh, Lawrence Olivier's name being thrown about actually. Yeah, so what, what is it? So shit, mate. I don't know, but Marlon Brando's charisma in this film, and like, he is, like, he just is the Godfather. Like, I don't. And I think this is the first movie I'd seen him in, and then then I went on to see like things like Guys and Dolls and that. Um, but like, obviously because the movie's been made, that's the case. But it, when you think of him as a Godfather, you can't, you can't see it being anyone else. And I think for Lawrence Olivier, it was too too much of a um, too much of a hard man's role for Lawrence Olivier. I think he's often played um, quite theatrical, soppy characters and things. Um, and it's that reservation. It's not, it's not gritty enough for him. It's um, and, and Marlon Brando's. You're right about Just the way it starts, to be honest. Um, the way you kind of get to re- understand his character and his role in this whole syndicate, this whole uh, organisation. Like he's just from the from the word go, he's the man. You know what I mean? He's the, as you said, he's um, he's having this conversation with Bonacera and he has a conversation with um, the funeral director and stuff as well. And there's such reservation and so much built up emotion in him. You know, like. But there's like so much to him. There's this, um, yeah, and just like the, the, the tenderness, like stroking the cat and stuff. He's just, he is just that painted picture of um, the Godfather. And I think that's much, that's one of his strongest scenes for me because um, his dialogue is in response to all these things that are happening. So you, you know, you understand that people are looking to him to give them something, to give them something back. Um, 
Nikki, same same question to you. Is there a different scene apart from the opening you could point to with him? Oh sure, there's just so much that happens in it. Still yeah. see, just as I said, it's just every scene he's in, he's just so calculated constantly. You just know he's in charge. Yeah. I think you can do that. Sorry, cut across. Another scene, sorry, that, that you, see, oh, you see similar traits though. When, when he had the meeting with Salazzo and he's just like yeah something about when he sit, goes to sit down and he like rubs the dust off of like Salazzo's that like, is yeah that's like great I think that's just brilliant and I don't know why it's just a subtlety of him like oh it's honestly the scene that I like and it's very similar is Salazzo's his power is that passing the torch in his last conversation you see between him and Michael in the movie and he's like, I never wanted this for you. Like, your brother, Just say the thing. Your brother's saying he was always... Voice. He was always... He was always the hothead in Fredo, uh, but I never wanted this for you. And I just like that moment because Michael's spacing and we'll talk about the cinematography like in, in a couple, like five minutes or so, but Michael's facing one way and Vito's facing the other way and it's like two ships passing in the night almost. Like, it's like the passing of the torch to the baton and I love the way that Vito plays that scene. Sort of, de- he's like a defeated man almost. Almost, uh, like that he, he's failed in some sort yeah, of way. It's his family, brother. Aye. Yeah. I mean, aye. But <laughs> I just what impresses me about it is I remember saying to someone said to me, oh, it takes so much effort to look effortless. Mm-hmm. Like he constantly looks like he's, he's so kind of underwhelming, but yeah. yet he's still, he still just know he's in charge. But there's one he's moment where he loses his temper, and it's, it's one of my favourite points. Now. He was like, "You can act like a man." Aye. <laughs> aye. <laughs> To, oh, what's, the, what's his character's name actually? I forgot. What, what's the singer's name? Um, oh, that's meant to be Frank Sinatra. Is it? Yeah, it's meant to be based on him because apparently he got helped out by mm-hmm. the Mafia. Mafia, Mafia. One sec, Nicky, you can continue the conversation. I watched it. Johnny Fontaine. Hold on, Jack. How did you know? We need to acknowledge this fat bastard. He's spent away to collect a Chinese halfway through recording a podcast. Has he? He fucking has. Guys, guys at the door, mate. It's a bloody joke. Ah, he mentioned me saying, <laughs> you know what he said? He mentioned me saying, eh, I'm bringing in chips, or no, I'm ordering in chips, so let me know when you've left Stirling. I was like, fuck me, mate, it doesn't take half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm off for River Village to get here with chip. River Village, I know, mate, the place is shite. <laughs> it's better than that. Right. China what? You see that one that we, we got at, um, at Joe's flat? Uh, seven, seven pound delivery. <laughs> What is that? No, we're just talking about it. Just talking about Jesus. Your mum's shouting on you. <laughs> Your mum's shouting on you. Anyway. Oh, I'm trying to record a podcast. Did you just know Keep It Going there? No. Nah. Ah, well, no, we just, no, we just did in silence. <laughs> Listen a minute, like, this Chinese this week is sponsored by the New River Village. So what are you saying? Alpacino. No Pacino. Oh my God, right. <laughs> they gave me a calendar and everything. So anyway. Fucking fun in the back of my car. I'm just getting the banana. So we've got to move on from the Chinese discussion uh, to talking about Al Pacino here because obviously Al Pacino basically is the focal point of this movie. Another bad decision by the studio. Studio didn't want Al Pacino. Let's just presume the studio didn't want Studio <laughs> 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 White, it doesn't often. Another one of the first Studio White, it doesn't often. That's brilliant, mate. Fucking Morgan here. Yeah?
Uh, oh, it does move. It's great, and he looks exactly. Did you just want any small guy? It just looks like Al Pacino in this movie. They look the exact same. Um, it's Something I love about Al Pacino in this movie is his progression from that opening scene. He's like the naive sort of army man, Michael. You can tell he's sort of restless, like coming back from the war and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then becoming that absolute evil power by the end. That's what happens in my favourite, one of my favourite games ever, Mafia 2. Yeah. Fatal Skeletor comes back for the war, mm-hmm. and then he comes back and his pal signs him off. Yeah. Like, gets someone to sign him out of the army, and then the exact same becomes a pro gangster. Yeah, I'm brilliant. <laughs> well, I love, I love that about Al Pacino's performance. And Jack, is the dynamic in that first scene, it basically is a two man play between him and Diane Keaton's Kate at the wedding that sort of anchors the movie going forward. Right, so was that a question or was that just a statement? Yeah, just it was the baton for you to take. No, you're right. I think uh, there's like a there's like a, obviously this whole hidden side to his family that uh, he's trying to not even protect. He's not even trying to protect it because he just at, at this point he's not involved in it really. And uh, as you were just saying there before, like that was something that obviously um, uh, Vito Corleone's trying to like hide them from essentially and you know him going off in the wall was obviously a great um a great excuse for that so i think it's as you said it's this sort of um this underlying like tension between him and Kay because ultimately he uh he probably knows that you know something's going to come about that he's going to have to get involved in it um, and and Kay will never really, never fully understand it Kay obviously wants a fairly normal life Mm-hmm. Uh, and have a normal life when you're a fucking gangster, so... Always exactly. happens in the gangster movies, but like, Goodfellas so. and that, like, they're all for it at the start, and then mm-hmm. yeah. it all falls apart, man. Uh, and that's, that's the thing that I... My favourite part of Michael in this movie is when he gets exiled uh, to Italy after the, the midpoint of the film, um, and he does, he falls in love uh, with uh, Apollina, um, and you get, like, a real sort of tenderness, and you get this idea that Michael could be really happy there like I reckon and then that's all taken away from him in a moment and you see the way that uh, Al Pacino plays that scene the moment the car explodes like you just get an absolute pang like in the heart think you know what I mean like it's it's (laughs) didn't care (laughs) didn't care it was a good go back sort out your troubles get your arse back well that's that's the thing I'll come at you first for this Nikki obviously we've talked about the big two here the big two performances and Marlon Brando and Al Pacino who was your favourite the best of the rest so to speak Wait, I don't know. You ask me such strange questions. It's not a strange uh, question. <laughs> Who was your favourite performance apart from? Probably Sunny. James Caan. I just know him as uh, Elfstar. Because <laughs> 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 I remember the first time I watched the Godfather, my dad went, Do you know what I love about his death? It's one of those deaths you just can't come back for. He's <laughs> like, see movies sometimes you die and then you get back up now. He's like, you're no fucking getting back up for that. My uncle, Francis, has talked about the direction of that scene if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes features and he said, we had to make this over the top, we had to make this as grand as possible because Sonny is such a force of nature. <laughs> my dad just loves it but I was like, fuck you. Something like the audience, like, because anything, like, with Sonny, you're thinking Sonny can get up from anything. He's this, he's this tough guy he's a wall of charisma he's famous for that tempo we've seen him be like beating people up all through this movie this is sunny like absolutely dead and oh, destroyed and 
mango. Oh, no, so people who shoot them. Yeah. They just keep getting more and more. And it's the thing is, like, it's so over the top because the guy goes up to him and shoots him in the head, and then he does the wee kick to the head as well, just to make sure, oh, if, even after all that, to make sure he's dead. Uh, Jack, is there anyone apart from James Can that you would point to in the sporting cast? No? Oh my god, I think we've lost him. I'd say tough was with me used to the music. We lost you there. Aye. Repeat, John. So who's your favourite in the supporting cast? Uh, Tom Hagen, I think, probably. Yeah, Tom Hagen, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, Tom Hagen, yeah. Um, I, I think did I watch? I think I might have actually watched this for the very first time in yours, or vice versa. You watched it in mine or something. I'm sure yeah. we watched for the one of us watched it the first time. Well, uh, Brown was the one who introduced it to me well, well back in the day. Uh, and I think it was when Jordan you Brown is the authority in feeling something. <laughs> 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 I remember telling him to watch Main Streets and he looked at me like I was a fucking idiot. And he was like, mate, I've seen that a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we looked at you if you're disgusted. Yeah, but I'm not sure, I might have brought it to you or so you. Like, I'm not sure if you even had a Godfather game before you seen the movie. Uh, nah, nah, it's not. Yeah, but, I bet. Like, I think I remember always like um, you always doing like Tom Hagen impressions and stuff like that as well. So I think that's, that's terrible because he's terrible at impressions. Obviously they were shite, but I'm German Irish. <laughs> <laughs> you used to just say I'm German Irish in the most bland like American accent and pure ah, uh, who am I, Tom Hagen? Impressions could literally just be like a vague impersonation of anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have a backup? <laughs> right, Tom, Tom Hagen, Robert Duvall. He's just sitting here drinking cranberry, cutting down shitty impressions. I'm sitting there, massive pint of water. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Duvall, how do you feel? Um, I will. I, I feel good. Uh, <laughs> no, he's got a, yeah, a really like, good scene, I think, with um, with the Waltz production guy. What is his name? Just Waltz. Uh, <laughs> um. Like, yeah, just kind of talking with him and that sort of... Again, he has like a, a kind of um, subtlety to him as well. I think he's really reserved in that. I think that's obviously what the whole Corleone thing is built on, apart from maybe Sonny. Yeah. But he just... Yeah, Tom Hagen obviously not being part of the, you know, the, the blood family, uh, but being such a, a sort of crucial part in the, in the organisation. No, that's the thing. I think Vito considers him blood, which is an important thing, but Tom himself is sort of so eager to please because he always feels inferior because yeah. of that sort of uh, status as the adopted uh, child of the family. And that's that's what you see, that, and that's what I love about Robert Powell's performance. It's always this eager nervousness about him, like this eagerness to fix the situation. So you get to that moment at the end where Michael's like, Tom Hagen is no longer Consuelo, and you just see that like, the look Robert Powell's like, expression just like completely broken and shattered because he feels he's failed. And then you yeah, saw all those years at Arsenal. Yeah. No, but then you get that that sort of moment with Vito, and he's like, "I never, I never thought you were a bad consulieri. I just thought Sonny was a bad don." And that sort of like fixes it, fixes it in a sense. But I've always loved the character arc of Tom Hagen, and especially if we do go into the Godfather two down the line, like I feel Tom Hagen as the character just gets more and more sort of uh, complex, and it's like it's really impressive for such a small role for me. I also one of the the worst parts of this movie for me is. Um, the domestic violence scene uh, with Talia Shire yeah. uh, and I do like I think her performance is a bit over the top in other parts of the movie but her sort of primality 
and that scene when she's getting whipped like really really always gets me makes me really really uncomfortable and i think she gives like a really raw and emotional performance at that point that yeah. fits completely in uh, yeah, with the tone of that scene it's probably the most brutal bit now i think well it is actually definitely but it's, no i don't know it's a, it is a horrible scene and when you've got a guy getting happen. gunned down <laughs> by like 25 guns like immediately after it but see i'd rather see that. that every day of the week i'm so slow mm-hmm. and stuff like that do you know what i mean like seeing yeah. someone in shot in a film is that bad it's just uncomfortable because of, like that is a domestic violence and it's just uh, I don't know, she's also pregnant as well, isn't she, at the time, so it's just... Pregnant at the time, and it's how close, like, I wanted to get into, you mentioned the word shot there, I want to talk about the, the, the way this movie is shot with Francis Ford Coppola, and we've got Gordon Willis as the cinematographer for this movie, the other two movies that he's most famous for uh, are Annie Hall and Manhattan, like, movies where it would be typical to say, oh, New York City's almost like an R character, and it's kind, it's kind of that same I way. I myself, I'm saying that's probably Annie Hall's one of my favourite movies ever. I know I... I can't watch it anymore because of Buddy Allen's an absolute pedo bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love it. Uh, it's great. And the, like, the way Annie Hall shot, like, you can definitely see a crossover in the way the New York City shot in this movie and the way that it's shot in Annie Hall in Manhattan. Um, but some of my favourite shots in the movie, and I wanted to run these by you, like the horse's head in the bed is obviously one of the most iconic moments uh, yeah. in cinema and it's remembered and it's the way we get that that scream from Waltz and then it it's like just, he gradually sees what it is yeah and it, with the camera sort of like how do you not kick it during the night I know it's a movie right I'm not pulling it apart and then but <laughs> he would he would <laughs> Um, and there's a horse. <laughs> Still fucking brilliant. I think the most impressive scene for me from a, a, a filmmaking and cinematography perspective, um, even the way the sound is designed in this scene, is the midpoint of the movie. It's that point uh, where Michael meets with Salozzo uh, and uh, the crooked police chief McCluskey in the, in the diner, in the Italian restaurant, and it's how close we get to Michael during that scene. It's how close we get into his face, and it's subtle because he moves in, shows you the full conversation, and eventually that pan, that pan as the train goes by, and you pan into Michael's face before he makes that decision: is he going to shoot him or is he not going to shoot him? Right. You can tell everything he's thinking in that moment. It's just so massively handled. Are there any other moments that anyone would point to in the movie um, as being particularly impressive from a filmmaking standpoint? Uh, nah, I've told you before. I'd could not care less with cinematography. I don't look at films like the way you look at them. You think about things a lot more than I do. I'm not saying fucking stupid or mm-hmm. I just like watching a film just enjoying it. Whereas you pick everything apart. It's only like really because bad movies I can forgive, but good movies I will notice like the little things that I like. Aye. You know what I mean? The things oh, that man. look like art. Aye, I suppose. I kind of wish I did look at things like that, but I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer's none. Jack, is there, any, is there anything for you that looked particularly impressive in this movie? Any scene today? Um, I quite like the scene uh, when Vito actually dies. <laughs> like, stun it, funnily enough. Um, no, I just think it's a nice scene with the, the grandchild. Is it Michael? Um, is his name Michael as well? Yes. Yeah, uh, no, Anthony. Anthony, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, it is Anthony, yeah. Um, uh, just like, I don't know, I think that's nice. Like, just the good, vibrant sun, like, really nice day in that. And um, out, obviously, he's growing his oranges and stuff. <clears throat> he's playing with the kid. And it's obviously a really sad, like, way to go. And, like, Whatever, but just the way it's shot, like it's all quite fast paced and he's chasing him and whatever. Um, and then he obviously kind of kills over. And the, the fact that, you know, the, the grandson doesn't really know what's going on and starts scoosing him with water, I just think it's it's like quite a pleasant death. Like he was obviously his time to go. So, like, it wasn't like this, oh my God, he's fucking dead. Like, you can't believe it. It's yeah. just like this. Really, that's, that's, 
that's his passing. Yeah, exactly. That he died sort of like in happiness, you know, uh, in a way. Yeah. But, I just think it, but I think, and that's from a cinematic point of view, it's really well shot as well. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I wanted to talk about like we've talked about the cinematography there. I wanted to go in more in depth to the sort of structure of the screenplay because I suppose like you've all heard like the sort of classic structure of the hero's journey. Like you look at something like Star Wars and you have Luke Skywalker who's he's this normal guy and he's called out his normal world and he rejects the call, uh, but then he's sort of forced into it. And I was looking at like the screenwriting studies of like showing the Godfather as being a reverse of that hero's journey. It's basically the same thing except he's being called to the dark instead of the light. The Godfather and the structure of it, now hear me out on this, is effectively the same movie as The Lion King, except in reverse. <laughs> it really is. Like even down to the where he says, I'm gonna shoot him. See by that logic you say any movie's the same. It's all just people get introduced, then there's an event. Then there's a tragedy, then the end. That's the same in every movie. It's basically, I just can't wait to be king, and Michael's like, I never want to be king. The father gets seriously injured, <laughs> leading to the son being exiled. The son comes back, defeats his evil, and takes so over the crown. This is just a nonsense point there. It's, <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's, it's not. It's like so, but this is so particularly similar. You can't even deny it. Like it's a it, film. And like, I'm not even like, I don't think that's a bad thing because it goes to like the very function of like storytelling. Because the, the Lion King. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just storytelling. The Lion King and the Godfather are both inherently Shakespearean. You know what I mean? So you're getting like that hero's. You're getting that journey. You're getting that classic um sort of structure and i like how it's turned into the sort of dark side of it rather than sort of progressing in a sort of hero's journey like you would typically see uh, in this film aye i suppose it basically is the origin story of a villain and that becomes clearer as you go into the second part you know like jack when we see michael at the end here and you get that last scene of key looking in and closing the door it's clear where he's where his journey's sort of gone like do you think the screenplay does it in a like a, a good way or do you think it could have been done better a bit more subtler nah I, needs, I think it needs to be quite like abrupt mm-hmm. <laughs> it needs to be like this This is the change that's happened like this this is now and he's got a different life exactly <laughs> this is basically going into the second one and also the third one I suppose um, you need to have seen there's like a serious character change here it's not like a subtlety it's not like he's he's went on this vast journey like mm-hmm. even though that is the case like he has obviously went on a journey but like it's went from being like black to white or white to black whatever you want to say so i think at this moment there needs to be a shocking thing for k to realize yeah that this is the end like this is it <laughs> yeah he's, he's, he's not yeah, he's been absorbed by like this organization this um way of life mm-hmm. it's funny that like, i was just reading some some deleted scenes earlier on and there's meant to be a scene after that that uh, it would have been a shite ending really to be fair um but there's meant to be a scene of Kay like praying in a church um like after it like lighting candles and stuff and praying um yeah yeah there's meant, there was meant to be a scene after that that got cut like there's loads of cut scenes from this actually um cut deleted uh, deleted scenes even what else is what else if you can remember was deleted um, no, there's like loads of ones that aren't even like important. Like for example, Clemenza picks up his cannoli and buys some meat like before killing Polly. You know what I mean? Rather than like just missed that scene out. They just done like the driver in the corner and he goes, "I got to take a leak." Um, there was a, yeah, there's meant to be a scene where they actually go into the shop and buy the cannoli and that, and he gets he gets Polly to go look at like a hideout spot or something like that. Fair so, enough. Fair enough. Um, Do you know who was meant to play Polly? No. Nah. 
main guy, because <laughs> this is the first choice. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro was signed on uh, to play Polly, but Al Pacino left the lead of a movie called The Gang That Couldn't Shoot uh, to star as Michael Corleone. <laughs> uh, so the studio who was making The Gang Who the, They Couldn't Shoot uh, got Robert De Niro to play that part, and Al Pacino was meant to play. Yeah. So it was just like, it all worked out for both of them in the end, obviously. Ah. Actors, legendary performers, uh, but, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're okay, they've become a bit of a character, caricature of themselves now, and, like, as we sort of discussed with Limitless uh, back in the ah. second episode of the podcast, but... I've not listened to it. Ah, fair enough. No, mate. I've seen Limitless either. Uh, the last thing I wanted to point out, last thing I wanted to point out was uh, the music in this film, the score by Nino Rota, um, basically... I don't think there's a score in film, and that's a question to ask you, is there a score in film? This is instantly recognisable as this is. Star Wars. Harry Potter. Fair enough. Star Wars, 100%. Star Wars. Just the two things at the start, it goes da 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 yeah. Everyone knows that straight out. The thing is, like, that's the thing about Star Wars, is you have that, rec- that recognisable score. Star Wars has got kids and adults. Yeah. You know, every kid knows Star Wars, and then kids don't watch Godfather. I do get that it is, obviously, if you're famous and that, but I'd say Star Wars. The thing, the thing with Godfather, though, is you've got, I think you've got, like, two sort of recognisable tracks from it. Uh, that you would get, you've got the main sort of Godfather theme with the violins like da 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 da, and then you've got Speak Softly Love, which is the love theme, uh, like it happens in the wedding bit in the middle. Uh, so that's what I think is the strength of this. I mean, the best soundtrack ever was Nightmare Before Christmas, so there's no point in even talking about any other soundtrack, to be quite honest. Halloween movie. Nah, it makes, no, it's not. It's fucking both, you dick. <laughs> well, uh, has anyone got any other comments to make in the Godfather set before we give our final, tra- final thoughts? None. Nope. Jack? Nothing? Nope. Well, I'm going to give The Godfather a 10 out of 10. I think there's no, like I've said, when I give it a 10 out of 10, there's no such thing as a perfect movie. I give it a 10 out of 10 for a movie being as well made and good as it could have been, like from the script all the way up to its finished product. And I think The Godfather is really, really good in that regard. I am, there's nothing bad we can say about it. I think we've tried our best. Nine. Just because, like, I think it's brilliant that, but there's never anything in there that goes, oh, pure what he wants to go to mm-hmm. I've just watched it because, like, my dad likes it. That's like, my dad doesn't really like movies. Yeah. He just likes that, and then, like, the Bourne movies, and that's it. Fair enough. My dad just likes football, that's it. <laughs> so we watched that <laughs> together, and that's why I watched it, and then just a couple of other things I've watched, because I think I should probably just watch this again, because everyone thinks it's amazing. I'm just like, oh, it's good, but yeah. there's nothing in me that just goes, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm just like, that's alright, eh? Godfather 2, I went and thinking, this is going to be unbelievable, and I was just like, ah, it's alright, eh? <laughs> Jack, what's your, what's your overall score here? Uh, I'll, I'll be a nine again. Uh-huh. It's just unbelievable, but my usual answer for it not being a ten is because it needs to do things to me. Um, normally, normally this, I would say this would, I would have probably given this a ten. Like, well, I don't know when I was like sixteen or seventeen because it was literally like the only movie I'd watch. So, like the opposite, the opposite of what you <laughs> saying, I used to just watch it a constant. Like I would probably watch it at least once a week for like a year. Um, Simpsons movie every single day I watched it. I'm exactly <laughs> when I say it every day. Right guys, um, that's the end of part one. <laughs> <laughs>
it's the end of part one. Uh, when we come back for part two, uh, we will be discussing The Simpsons. In fact, it's been renewed for two seasons. We'll be discussing the Oz trailer and poster. Uh, we'll be discussing Shaft and we'll be discussing Liam Neeson. So, we'll see you in a bit. Alright, so we're back. Part two. Sned's with us. Hi, Sned. Oh, Sned's back. Sned's back after. When was the last time you sent this? When I told him apart. You did, you told me an absolute new ring. That's what's got my negative reputation, man. Have you anyway you changed your opinion on the Spider Man game since then? No, it's fucking it's I've always liked it. I just nah. didn't. It's just been a dick that day. I've actually just installed it onto my PS4. Yes. Whose PS4 was on before? Katie's dad's. Oh. I was playing it there at the time, now I've got it back and I'm going to play it more That's fair enough, that's fair enough. A man should be able to play his games under his own roof, you know. <laughs> uh, we have Chinese now, Jack. By the way, so yeah. have you been munching? I made toast, I made toast and peanut butter. This is hack it, I hate oh, peanut butter. That was mad enough. <laughs> Peanut butter because Americans are obsessed with it. Uh, peanut butter, so seeing as over there, everything was fucking peanut butter. Peanut butter. And it was like an absolute sham. Oh, that's not the same. It's an absolute sham. Uh, so basically, we've talked a Absolutely down to Chinatown. Uh, Jack Higgins will be facing <laughs> Conor McCann and Yeah, and then Ed Downey will be facing Mary Higgins. And the last spot will be filled by the winner of what we are calling the Buchanan Gauntlet. Not named I after didn't... Nikki, it's named after the street in Glasgow. Um, basically, how it's going to work is Nikki's going to give us a brief for a pitch, and we're going to have a guest, at least one guest every week. We'll be pitching it. Nikki will give them a mark out of ten. The person with the highest mark at the end will get to go and face Ed and Mary. Ed Mark. Trying to get your first one up then. Then you might get a really good one. You'll be like this in eleven. Do a spinal tap. Right. So basically, that's Charlie Day for you. Oh, sorry. Oh, right. Nikki. It's <laughs> an, an episode. Turn on my t-shirt, guys. Nikki has a Charlie it's Day. A, there's an episode where they set up a dating profile for him and they're like, what's your likes? And he goes, girls and things like that. It's just so funny, man. And then they take a picture of him and he's their shit and they make the form and that's the picture. <laughs> right. uh, so, Jack, how are you feeling about facing McCann and Ian Shearer? Who do you want to beat more? Uh, Taylor. Fucking pricks. McCann's a pervert, so... Teams and teams nah, of them, yeah. folk just churning out ideas. But that doesn't mean they're good ideas. Like when, like the Simpsons passed, like it's prime, like nah. ten years ago probably now. Nah. 
You know what I mean? Still the best program ever. No, I haven't really watched it. I haven't seen the watch the episode. I'm still funny. Right, anyway. Well, Mike, you still like it anymore? Can't tell us what you're hanging in your movie should be. They all die. Fucking awful costume. Oh my god, no. I would say. The. Marge. Can you get kidnapped? Marge is getting kidnapped. That doesn't pay her. Watch the film and you'll find out. No, we can't get it. Could be. Are we meant to? Is this a guessing? Yeah, this is the weirdest picture. You're meant to be still with me, but I don't want to know. Not necessarily. Who's kidnapped in March? So, Marge can get kidnapped after all. Crusty. Crusty the clown. You guys are making what is effectively a kids' movie here. Aye. Aye. It's a clown kidnapping her, it's not like you make movie serious. Oh, I guess that like... And then what? So what happens? She goes away with Krusty. We're disgusting take her pizza time. Location. Is that a sex dungeon? <laughs> 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 yeah. Do you know? It's a beast. It's a beast. But, um, it can be about how Homer and the family try to rescue her. Mate, there's a line in the office, right, where Michael says sometimes I just start a sentence and just hope it goes somewhere. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm doing. That's <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do that. I think it's a good point. So, effectively, it's mentioned. Marge gets kidnapped by Krusty. Homer and the gang meet to save her. Yes. That sounds like a good premise to me. To yeah, be honest, it's right. a decent start. Is there? Does another rock band die? This time? Like, is she so bothered? 75. Nice. Um, any other additional facts we should know about the film before? Well, like, the sideshow Bob in it? Oh, of course it is. Yeah, that's good as well. Is it going to be good or bad in it? I think he might have a turn of heart and he, he saves Marge. Sideshow Bob's had more heel turns than Big Show. He's, he, he helps Krusty. He plays a part. Oh, he's evil. Right. Yeah, well, I'm going to be evil. And um, also, Kanye's president, I think. That's a good so one. Was, I get a that's an R-celebrity present. Yeah, okay, mate, I'm being your simple point five. Yeah, there we go. Well, that's a good start off the nice That's a good pitch. So, Marge gets kidnapped by Krusty. The gang have to save her. Sideshow Bob is helping out Krusty. And we've got an R-celebrity present. He set herself for a hard one there, but he's one of the funniest lines. It's food. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first one. I was elected to read. Number three. So funny, man. So, uh, right, so that starts us off with the beginning one, like a 7.5, that's a decent, that's a decent score right here. Yeah. It's above a 7. No, it's just below an 8. No way. Jack, <laughs> 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 to go back to you uh, on The Simpsons, are you happy about the new for two seasons? Um, oh, I'm kind of indifferent to be honest, I've stopped watching it. Nah, I've stopped watching it, but I mean, I've, I'm sure there'll be like the odd funny episode in it, there's no doubt. Like, it's the same with Family Guy and that as well, like, eventually they're going to run out of things to do, and they're going to like, have to, like, you know, like, remake episodes, but just change things, you know? Yeah. Like, that's kind of what The Simpsons already done that, but a million times, there's like, the same sort of storylines that are just like, involving different characters, and, but, so I'm kind of indifferent to it. I think it'll be alright, I probably won't even watch it, um, if I have access to it. 
happens is that he had time to go away and make another show, finish that show, and The Simpsons is still going on. He's not involved in it. He's not been involved in it for years. He's just the name behind it, background. He's not involved in it at all. How do you know? Because me and McCann are Simpsons diehards. Like, I talk to McCann every day. I'm not exaggerating. Me and McCann talk just about every day through Simpsons quotes. Just send each other Simpsons things. Like, Simpsons SPFL and that. But he's not involved in it. He's just the kind of the guy behind it. Like, see, like, when fucking. It's the guy behind their original idea. Gordon Ramsay owns that fucking restaurant and that. But he's not getting that. It's like George Lucas was the main thing. Aye. They're just. It's their idea. It's their original idea. But he's not involved in it. It's just teams of writers. Okay, Mr. Simpsons fan. What's the best Simpsons episodes of all time? Uh, Last Exit Springfield, probably. Homer's uh, joins the trade union, becomes the leader of the trade union, then Lisa needs braces. Remember that? And then he uh, said he's it's going, Dino plan, Lisa needs braces. <laughs> so this is a bit where he goes into Mr. Burns' house yeah. and then he gives him the tour and stuff and it's like a thousand monkeys straight working a thousand typewriters and stuff like that. It's so funny, just every bit of it's just hilarious. Like I watched it not that long ago and see if you watch it now, there's like so many quotes you think that it's just all for the one episode. Mark-Versus-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Immortal-Imm
uh, of this movie came out and it's Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out uh, that everyone's really excited about. It's us. So now, did you watch the trailer literally for the first time like 10 minutes ago? What was your thoughts on it? Did you see Get Out as well? I've not seen Get Out. No. Well, but, you know, watch me, it's amazing. <sighs> I've heard that it's amazing. We'll just get on. Uh, I, know, I think it was pretty good, it Pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, doesn't um, it? Aye, it's one of those things where it's that whole identity thing as well. Uh, like it's like, oh my god, it's us, and you're just like that's the creepiest shit in the planet, man. To be honest, I don't really get it. Yeah, well that's the thing you don't get it. I said on this before, I've got a few problems with like these movies and fucking bird dogs in the quiet place. Which is the same thing but slightly different. Like these ones can't hear, these ones can't see, stuff like that. That wasn't the fault of those two movies though. The movie's got any like years of production it makes. Just didn't like it, right? But I'm not saying it's their yeah. fault, I just don't like it. And then, like, um, don't speak and stuff like that, whatever it was called. It's just don't all breathe. these movies, don't breathe. But then this is just fucking so weird. Uh, <laughs> I just think you could look at it and go, I've said before on this, I hate trailers, but this one I'm so buzzing for. This is the first like horror that I've watched a trailer and went, that looks actually terrifying. And um, again, it's going back to like, it's going back to like what you said, like on one of the first horror films we done uh, about it just being like real life. Like this is not that this is something that actually happened, but it's, it's, more, just, it's more real in the sense that like, as you said, it's like identity. Um, this idea that it's maybe like an inner demon. It's maybe not necessarily like a, like a ghost or anything, but it's like you, you know. Yeah. Uh, like about that. And we're talking about and it's the, the strengths that get out as well, this sort of new wave of social commentary horror that's coming out. Because I don't exactly know what that's going to be uh, with this new movie. Us and Get Out is kind of explicit when you watch the full movie all the way through. Jordan Peele said he's very adamant about making that type of horror. But he's also, what's really exciting to me is this whole new movement of anthology series that's coming out. Jordan Peele's producing a new version of the Twilight Zone anthology series for Netflix, which is essentially different horror episodes like set in this sort of uncanny view when it's like a different it's essentially going to be like an olden day Black Mirror and instead Black Mirror is like the modern twist in what the Twilight Zone did back in the day. So we're going to take this back to sort of its roots, which I'm really excited about. And how amazing is it? He's able to advertise it as a Jordan Peele film. You know what I mean? Like Get Out made that much of a splash that now we're like, oh, the new Jordan Peele movie's coming out. Like, that's the, that's the dream. Imagine that was so successful so quick. Double X, but doesn't it? Eventually one. Sean Michaels Martin Jimmy. Fucking hell. Wrestling reference. <laughs> Wait, I can take it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one one fucking <laughs> That's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> I need them in the best presenter award this year, man. That's all they carry the race back. It's a farce that we got. I can't believe that it was <laughs> mate. I'm fucking really killed somebody. That's all right, mate. You're having an award. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Get yourself back in your feet, because my old friend's still up and he's still in the castle. Actually, he's fucked on off. I don't mind the big up speed, though. I've been getting that hard time for later and for years. That's fair enough. And we're going to move on from the Australian to Shaft. 
what a lot of nonsense that looks. That looks great. Uh, it's the first time I've seen this trailer was like just yesterday scrolling through Twitter and Samuel Jackson tweeted it out and I was like, this looks so much yeah, have fun. You ever, have you ever seen South Park with a thing called Member Bennies? It's just these wee things that go on. Remember Star Wars? Remember the Millennium Falcon? Yeah. It's just slagging all these movies that come out just being like, I remember how things used to be. That's Shaft. Just going, I remember the 90s. People wearing leather jackets and hitting women. But here's the thing about like the Shaft. Because obviously this is a, a reboot. Like, it's not a well-known property and it's the type of thing I do think should be rebooted. Like, I don't agree with like constantly rebooting Batman like every five years, rebooting Spider-Man, rebooting things that we already know. Like, not a lot of people are aware of like what Shaft is. Like, yeah. I, could, I wouldn't have been, I've never seen the original movie. I wouldn't have been able to tell you I just know that there's that joke of the dog lover talking about it. And Michael Cera being Shaft, that's the only reason I know who he is. <laughs> they kind of make that joke, like a sort of Black James Bond thing. Uh, I think it looks intentionally, like not intentionally shit, but it looks like the sort of movie that's so easily digestible, like I could go well, That's what those films were, with the black exploitation was that's yeah. what they were building, just simple films. And I think there's a place for that, like not every movie needs there to was. be as good as that looks, like you need movies that you can just go to, like grab like a beer. And just like go and look at but... uh, Jack, are you on my? Are you backing me up? Or are you backing me or not? <laughs> I, I think for once I actually agree with you in this. Like, um... Hey, well, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't thrilled by it, I didn't. Um, but kind of after you tweeted it, you said that this looks fun or something. So I was like, ah, here we go. This is going to be the most unfun thing ever. Uh, and, <laughs> and then, actually, it's alright, like it, it's no marking a movie at all, um, and that's the same for like Hobbs and Shaw as well, which we'll, I think we're going to touch on them, you know, but um, there's yeah, no marking a movie. Hobbs and Shaw crosses the line for me from being like ridiculous to just looking ridiculously shite. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I can't believe that they've made Idris Elba like a superhuman in this one. That crosses the line for me because we discussed in Fast Five when we did a Fast Five show how it basically become a superhero franchise, but you can't like. Like, see, years ago when Tokyo Drift came out, no one thought that Tokyo Drift was good, and that's like five people I've heard say, discussing Fast and Furious, that Tokyo Drift's their favourite one. Nah, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, Tokyo I, don't know, I don't know if it's like an age thing, because our generation was like the right age for when Tokyo Drift came out, and we're like, this is cool, because it's I've Tokyo. The guy in it is a total hill really, I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen it. Um, what is DK stand for? Donkey Kong? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we have one last thing to talk about on the docket today. Uh, I'm more serious actually, I don't know why I put this on. Uh, Liam Neeson. <laughs> um, effectively we had the whole controversy with Liam Neeson this week. He came out uh, and basically said that... I don't know how I'm trying to put this. Everyone knows what he said. If you've not seen it, then... Basically, one of his friends was sexually assaulted by what happened to your black gentleman. And then he was saying that he was going around the city 
uh, looking to kill like any black man that he could set his eyes on. He was hoping to get in a fight with him. Um, now, here's here's the sort of issue I have with the backlash to this. Um, Liam Mason said it, not in the sense that he still agreed with it. It was a point he was like trying to put across that this was right. Like he was trying to say it in the context that this was an attitude back in the day that I've now changed and is wrong. And fair enough, like fair play to him for saying that and stuff, right? But how I mean, fucking stupid can you get, man? Like didn't... you're marketing a film. Don't uh, say stuff like that. Just keep keep that for another time. I, like, do, I do agree with that. that but they have a bit of street smarts. If you're gonna say that, people are gonna go. I do, I do agree, it's not, it's, not an, it's not an intelligent move by any man. I mean, it's the same with Beagle Watson when he was going to recently. Like, said the N-word and he didn't mean it. Oh, and, like, yeah. uh, like, a pure, like, slur, he was saying, like, like, oh, we don't say this anymore, and then ended up saying it, and so it's pure kind of productive. But, but the thing that's that, slur, yeah, No, that's what, no, that, that's what I'm saying. He wasn't meaning it as, like, a direct attack on someone who was just really yeah. meant to refer to the word. Like, the problem I have with what Liam Neeson's done, Liam Neeson's, like, actively, like, trying to point out how his view has changed and how he thinks that he can change other people's yeah. views by doing that. And I don't think the media don't care about that. Me- media will twist anything. Mm-hmm. They don't care about what his view is. They just want to go, Liam Neeson said this. And I'm going to go, that's Because at the yeah. end of the day, they're, they're not doing a noble job, but they're doing a job. Their job's to get people to go and look at their stories. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go, Liam Neeson called, said this. Like how, how bad's that? As if they care, they don't care. They couldn't care less what Liam Neeson says. Yeah. And Jack, what do you think of the, the, the whole situation? No, I'm pretty much in the same with you. That, uh, like, he was, he, I'm pretty sure he confessed, well, he, he confessed, he kind of like apologised almost instantly after it. Yeah, he did say it. Like, As you said, like, he was highlighting the fact that it was something that, in the backlash of what had happened to someone close to him, a wrong, he said it was not the right way of thinking, but I was in a bad place given that what had just happened. Yeah. And, um, like, I don't know, it, was, it just it was obviously blown completely out of context. And <laughs> Basically, the news that's come out about it is um, that the premiere for his new film, Cold Pursuit, which I actually really enjoyed the, the trailer for because it kind of seemed to be taking the piss about the whole taking movies that he's been basically doing in the last couple of years. Um, the premiere of that, the New York premiere of that was cancelled and he was meant to be uh, featured or st- uh, starring in the new Men in Black International reboot and it looks as though they're talking about cutting Liam Neeson's scenes in that movie because of this backlash which I, I, just, I just don't I, I don't agree with that because someone should be able, like fair enough it wasn't a good thing he was thinking at the time but someone should be able to change their view and discuss like, the change of mind that they've had without us like going to this That is the scariness of the, of the media. Like that guy is now like That's exactly that, he's obviously he's quite well off, so he's not really gonna be bothered about losing a job or anything, but he has been just been cut by from a movie, which at some point he successful. He can ruin your career in one cut now. So just one tweet or anything done, that's you yeah. <laughs> fucked. Is it before people choose stuff and they'll take it? And on one side, and on one side of it, it is like obviously hateful and violent things he's thinking, but you've got to put it in context of if a man's changing his mind and he hasn't actually the thing is, this is going to sound bad, he hasn't actually committed a violent act. Like you're placing thought now, like you can't be placing thought. Don't be conscious, but if we are four white people talking yeah. about how and we, see this we should be offended yeah. about a guy saying to kill all black people, like. 
end of the day, it's not really our place to be offended by that. Well, that's the thing, and I've wanted to say this as well. All people have brought up to me about the sort of uh, with the representation in our show and how it's a sort of cultural thing. So uh, I'm making a push to have like more women feature ah, you're more, terrible for that. more heavily in the podcast. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm like, I'm a wider representation in the show because we're what you're trying to treat those sort of structural societal attitudes as well but i do think that it's wrong the way that the media reacted to this all recent situation but anyway but it's some lighter news next week <laughs> we will be talking about uh christopher nolan again this is the first time we've went back to a director for the second time uh, and we will be talking about interstellar uh, and Ed Downey will be returning for our prestige show to discuss that with us uh, and also Andy Mitchell uh, will be making his debut and joining us as well. Uh, the week after that we'll be talking Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and then after that it will be our pitch battle show. Uh, so it'll be good. So it was good to have you, uh, Nicky. It's good to have you back Thanks. this week. Horrendous. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sned, thank you for popping in. Uh, Give us your thoughts on the Simpsons movie too and other things. It's been fun. My pleasure. It has always been, has been a pleasure. And then Jack, cheers again. Right. You're welcome. Good. <laughs> uh, and obviously we'll see you all next week. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.